let's just uh, bow our hearts again, shall we? Father, we just thank you for this opportunity we have just to meet together in the name of Jesus. And Father, as we now consider the future that lies before us, Father, we want to commit it firmly into your hands. Lord, we want to be the people that you want us to be. We want this to be the fellowship that you want this to be. Father, we don't want to get in the way. Lord, help us to have ears to hear, have eyes to see, and have hearts, Lord, that are just so in love with you that, Lord, we don't care for our own name, our own reputation, but we care for your name and your reputation. And, Lord, this morning I just pray that you encourage us, edify us, build us up, that, Lord, you speak to us. And reveal a little bit more of yourself to us this morning. Father, just take my words and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I read the, this morning, sitting down at home, just having a cup of tea at the start of the day, just a, a line from Proverbs, and it just struck me. It's, the conies are but a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. And I couldn't help of thinking myself there as kind of like the Coney's, a feeble folk kind of character person. And yet my security is in the fact that I've made my home within the rock, within Jesus. And I wouldn't be standing here today if that wasn't the case. And it's just incredible um, that I am today where I am. The Lord has done with me uh, the things he's done. I, I planned this morning... Over the last few weeks, um, putting together some thoughts of things that maybe we could look at and go through as a fellowship, I thought it'd be good to go through the kind of responsibilities of the pastor. I thought that'd be good just to refresh, certainly for my own sake, what am I supposed to be doing? <laughs> Clearly from Scripture we find that a pastor is you know, able to teach and feed the flock of God and so on, uh, able to be a godly example has to be hospitable and so on. And we, we know we've got these lists in Scripture. A pastor also needs to be careful about what he says and the way he says it. But whilst I was putting all these Scriptures together, I just didn't feel quite that that was where we should be going. It's not that we won't ever go down that road and look at those things. They are important. Um, I do feel that the pastor shouldn't ever be the chief cook and bottle washer. You know, we're a body. We're, we're one unit. We're working together. We're a family. And the pastor is just one of the gifts that the Lord has given um, I was also going to go on to talk about the responsibilities for everybody, talking about ministry. And I think it's something that maybe over the coming weeks we'll look at, um, what the ministries are that the Lord has given us. Because I think it's important that everybody knows and understands and exercises the ministry they have. And my experience of church life is that there are many people in churches that have no idea what their ministry is. They come on a Sunday, they go home, and they get fed, and they're growing in their Christian life, but they don't really have any concept of their responsibility, what it is that the Lord is using them for. And sometimes people can feel very disconnected. But all of those things uh, are important. But I, I just one scripture I did want to read um, is just from Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, because I think this really, to me, sums up the function of the church. Paul, speaking to the uh, Christians in Ephesus, says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So that's really the purpose of the fellowship, that we grow up into Christ, that we grow up into him, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. 
That to me is a real key. Every joint, every part of the fellowship should be supplying something according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In First Peter, we're told that we are to be, as it were, as lively stones or living stones, and we're being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, I think, to me, the underlying thing here is that the church exists for Jesus Christ. So often we have these ideas of what the church is for, what the church is going to accomplish, and certainly the, the church at large seems to have maybe some strange idea that we're going to go out and win the world for Jesus Christ, and when that's done, then maybe he can come back and set up his kingdom then. And of course we know from the Bible that's not the way it's going to be. But I think there is that kind of prevailing view so often that we've got such a big mission in the community and we've got this to do and that to do. And actually we exist for Jesus. It's for him. It's for his purpose. You know, and the ministries and the gifts, therefore, that exist within a fellowship are really all there for drawing us closer to him. I think when we have that kind of understanding, it, it changes our perception of what we're doing. We're not just doing jobs trying to attract people in or whatever. We're doing things for our Lord and Saviour. That's what the, the gifts we've been given, primarily in my understanding of Scripture, are for. It's to, it's to glorify him. And yes, the Lord will use us, and we have various gifts that involve us going out and speaking to other people, and various tasks that we will be performing in our duties as Christians. But ultimately, it's all to be done for him. It's interesting, when you look at the tabernacle, it was a spiritual building as such. We are to be a spiritual building as a church, there were lots of jobs that were assigned. Uh, you read through in Exodus and so on, and you find that the jobs were assigned to the Levites, and they all had different responsibilities. Some were to be re- involved in the, the utensils, looking after those and carrying them from place to place as they moved in their wilderness journey. Others were involved in setting the, the actual the, the framework up or the fencing or whatever. Every part of that was important. People that put the tent pegs in, that was an important role. And they couldn't just think, you know, as they moved from place to place and they set up the tabernacle at a new location, they couldn't just think, well, you know, well, I only do the ten pegs. It's not really that important, is it? You know, that's a really important part because without that part being done on a windy day, everything else kind of comes a cropper. And the point I want to make is that every one of us is involved. We're all here because the Lord is doing something in our lives and as a fellowship as a whole. And I certainly uh, don't intend to try and do everything. I don't want to do that. It's not my job. It's not my responsibility. We have to work together. And I would uh, encourage you over the the coming weeks to pray that the Lord reveals to you very clearly, if you don't already know, what your ministry is, how the Lord wants to use you. And, uh, you know, as and when we get opportunities to start um, talking and fellowshipping more, we can start sharing with, with each other what the Lord is going to be doing with us and through us and so on. So those are all the kind of things I was going to talk about and elaborate on further and look at numerous scriptures. But I just read something um, yesterday in Malachi that just struck me. Um, this is uh, in uh, Malachi chapter 2, verse 2. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. And he just says, If you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already because you do not lay it to heart. It really hit me that the Lord is wanting us to give glory to him. And really, this morning, we could look at our responsibilities, our duties, the focus, where we're going to go, what we're going to try and achieve, all those kind of things. And 
there may be time for those things later. But this morning, I really wanted to just focus on the Lord, on what he's done, and just bringing glory to him. And I just happened to, as I was just putting some notes together, look up, and I noticed I'd got some study notes put to one side, and this scripture just caught my eye that was on there. With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Now, in the context of Matthew 19, that's looking at primarily salvation. But there are plenty of scriptures that underlie the fact that anything we try and accomplish on our own, by our own effort in our Christian life, is impossible. We won't achieve it. But with God, all things are possible. And our being here this morning, the the future for this fellowship, with ourselves, if it's our effort, if it's our ingenuity, it's not going to work. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And what I really wanted to do was just share a little bit about my testimony, where where the Lord has brought me from and the situations. Um, Not to just tell you lots about me. I don't want to do that. I want to glorify God. I want to say that the reason I'm here is because of what God has done. And to me, I look back and I'm just amazed. Um, One thing that keeps reverberating in my mind, John Newton, who um, wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, um, at the end of his life got up to speak and his memory was failing him. And uh, one of the, I think one of the shortest sermons on record. Um, and he got up and just made the statement. He said, one thing I know, he says, that I am a great sinner and he is a great saviour. And really that's the, the summary of, of everything in our lives. That we're great sinners and he's a great saviour. So just a, a little bit of, of background. Uh, some of you know me better than others. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I was born into a Christian family, uh, for which I truly thank God for. Um, having said that, mum and dad at that time were Christians, you know, went to church. It was a typical Anglican church, uh, and they went every week. But they got to a point, um, this was just after I was born, um, that they were attending a church service together. They had a visiting speaker, and they both independently, there was a kind of an altar call type thing, and they both stood up and receive the Lord at that point in their lives. Although they thought they were Christians, they suddenly realized that there was something lacking and they um, put their trust in Jesus. And from that point, their Christian life started developing and growing. And and they got involved very soon in the church, in the ministry activities and the work of the church, a number of uh, different things. They were both involved with the music group uh, at the church, which at the time traveled all over the country. Um, There was various musicals. They had a fantastic um, musician, a keyboard player, who had written um, various musicals, uh, Christian musicals, and they'd gone uh, to prisons around the country performing this and so other places. So when we were very young, uh, myself and my sister, my uh, brother wasn't born at that point, uh, we were going all over the place uh, and seeing these things going on. So um, my own conversion took place when I was around about eight years old. I remember being at a celebration service, uh, and the Anglican church we used to go to, go to had a very high balcony, and I was standing up there with one of my friends and just singing the songs as we did. And I just remember feeling the urge just to raise my hand in worship. And I'd never done that. And it was just that moment I thought, well, hang on, why? Why, why do I want to do that? And I just started questioning. And I really felt this kind of question, do you want to serve me? Do you love me? And it was just a real clear, the Lord speaking to me. And it was just, well, yes, Lord, I do. Uh, and I raised my hand. I remember just feeling very emotional at that point. But that was, the, for me, that defining moment when I chose to put my trust in Jesus, that, that, yes, I want to serve you with my life. And I carried on growing. We carried on going to church. And I'm sure for 
those of you who have grown up in a Christian family, you, you kind of understand that experience. A lot of people sometimes look for that kind of Damascus Road type conversion. And very often, if you've grown up in a Christian environment, it doesn't quite happen that way. You know, there are certain moments. But for me, that was that defining moment. When I was um, about 14, uh, we had a youth weekend and uh, the youth group was quite active. We had uh, probably about 30 or so young people. We'd attended things like Greenbelt Festival, which at the time was loosely a Christian festival. Um, and uh, we were getting into the, the Christian music scene and, and getting excited by those things. But we had a, um, a youth weekend. And I was at that time just with the, the youth group leading the worship. And everybody was going up and being prayed with um, this, this Saturday evening. And people ended up starting crying as the Lord was starting to, to do things in people's lives. And I kind of determined, no, I'm not going up. I don't, I don't need to go up, you know. Uh, I was quite comfortable. And there was a couple of girls that I liked at the time. And I thought, I'm not going to go and cry. I said, no, don't do that. But it got to, towards the end, and I just really felt the Lord just telling me that I had to go and be prayed for. So I did. And at that time, uh, I received the Holy Spirit uh, in, a, in a powerful way. Um, I'm sure um, you, you know that you receive the Holy Spirit when you're born again. But there's a separate filling of the Holy Spirit for ministry. And uh, after that, mum and dad were both youth leaders at the time. They, uh, or mum came up to me at the end and she said, I really felt as we were praying with you that the Lord is going to do something very special in your life. And it was like, okay, it was one of those things you kind of put on the back burner, we'll see what happens. And we just carried on in our, our family life, going to church and everything else. I started getting involved in school. We started a Christian union, which was fun. Went to the RE teacher and said, I've got this idea, I'd like to start a Christian union, because there were some other people at the school I was at who uh, also went to the same church, so that was a kind of a, a little call that we could get going with. Um, and the RE teacher said, oh, no, I don't think that's a very good idea. <laughs> so I went to the biology teacher, who was just an ardent evolutionist, and I said, we want to do a Christian union, could we use your classroom? He said, yeah, no problem. So that then provided a very interesting discussion. So anyway, we started this Christian union at school, and, and I remember cycling to school. And this is fun, and probably would be banned today if the police ever saw something similar. But I used to be cycling to school with my guitar, with over the back uh, a record player, portable record player, because uh, I used to take some Christian music, we used to play a track and then talk about the lyrics and look at the Bible verses and things. Uh, a bag full of Songs of Fellowship um, word books for people to sing the songs from, uh, and in my school stuff as well. So it was rather precarious. But um, for five years we had this Christian union going and we invited various people uh, in the area to come in and start, uh, or just to, to share uh, music ministry or whatever else. And that was quite exciting. Um, at about the same time, around about the age of 14, uh, I got it asked to join a Christian band, drumming, because I started drumming when I was about eight, and I'd yeah, done reasonably well at that point. And so they asked me to join a band. Um, so it was a great opportunity. I said yes. And I, suddenly, I remember standing at home one day, and I thought, hang on, we're going to go out, we're going to be talking to people about Jesus and about the Bible. And I thought, I really don't know all that much about the Bible. And it just really hit me that, if we're going to talk to people about Jesus, then I need to know more about Jesus and the Bible. And so that Christmas, uh, I'd been brought uh, a one-year Bible. So I started reading it, and I read it through that year, cover to cover. It was actually it was a living Bible, so it was kind of a paraphrase as opposed to a, a proper Bible. Um, but nevertheless, it was good. It gave me a bit of an understanding of Scripture, and I read it through the next year. Uh, then I went on to the King James, didn't understand that a bit. Uh, went to the, the NIV, and I thought, mm, it kind of didn't quite sit with me. So I kind of dotted around from Bible to Bible, year after year, gradually just learning more, and so on. And 
that really started my, my Christian journey in terms of understanding scripture. Um, I used to buy lots of Christian albums and we used to go to, to places like the Greenbelt Arts Festival and see some of the Christian bands. Every time I used to get one of the albums, I used to go to the lyric sheet and most of the bands at that time, they used to put the Bible verses which their songs had been written around and so on. So I used to go to the Bible and find those verses and underline them. And straight away I started getting a, an understanding of scripture and how it all fit together and so on. And that really takes me up to the time I was around about um, 20 years old. And uh, I had a, you know, a good grasp of Scripture at that point, having read through the Bible uh, a number of times. And I started struggling with the things that were being said at church. Uh, this was a typical Anglican church, fairly go-ahead Anglican church, very lively. Um, but I started noticing that the things that were being said were not quite the same as what I'd read in the Bible. And... I had to start asking some questions. The first thing I did was to, to leave the, the worship group because I didn't feel comfortable um, you know, having all these questions and things. And, um, and then it got to one Sunday morning and the, the minister um, just made a few comments that to me were just, I, I couldn't accept it anymore. It was just, it was boring on heresy. Um, so I made the decision quietly just to leave. And I stopped going to the Anglican church uh, and I went to a local Baptist church, which I knew believed the word of God. Uh, they didn't actually teach it, because that would have maybe upset people, but they believed it, and that was a really good thing. So, so I was quite happy with that to start with. And I stayed there for about eight months, uh, until we had a, a visit by uh, an evangelist, uh, somebody actually from New Zealand called Barry Smith. Some of you may have remember uh, Barry Smith. Uh, well, Barry and his family came over, they actually stayed in our house. And um, we had a lot of time talking to them over the weekend they were with us. Um, but on the, the Saturday evening, we had an event, we hired a big um, sports hall, and uh, we had about 500 people or so. A lot of people came down from London. And uh, the, the minister of the Anglican church, where I'd left, my mum and dad were still there, had um, decided that he was going to come in and, in a very humble manner, plonk himself right in the center of the front row. And uh, it got to the, the end of the, uh, the meeting. Um, and the, the next night, Barry was scheduled to speak in the Anglican church. And he got up and quite loudly said, I'm not having that man speak in my church created a bit of a problem because we then needed a venue. Um, quite uh, comically, one of uh, another minister in the town, uh, who was a wonderful man of God, loves the word, and uh, I learned a lot from him as well, um, just walked up and said, look, he said, I don't agree with everything Barry Smith said. He said, but I agree with him far more than I agree with anything you say. Uh, I've never ever heard him say anything to derogatory to anybody apart from that one comment, and it, it, was, it was priceless. So um, because of his connection with the local Baptist church, this, this other minister that made those comments, um, Barry was able to go and speak uh, the following, or the next morning, the Sunday morning, the Sunday evening in the Baptist church. But that left mum and dad with a real problem. What were they going to do? They couldn't now stay, surely, in this church, which is, is so uh, far from, from Scripture uh, in, th- in terms of the things that were being taught and everything else. And we were sitting home on the Sunday afternoon, uh, and Barry Smith just said to, to mum and dad, he said, well, why don't you start your own fellowship? And after mum and dad picked themselves up and stopped coughing, um, it was like, well, you know, how do we do that? We can't do that, you know. And, and he said, well, why not? Uh, he said, you could call it Deal Christian Fellowship. And that's where Deal Christian Fellowship began. So um, within uh, a few weeks of that, after a lot of prayer, mum and dad felt that that was the way the Lord was leading them. So they decided to start uh, this fellowship. They said to me, this is what they were going to do. I said, good, enjoy it. Um, I figured there could be a lot of work involved in that. So I was quite happy at the Baptist church for a week until the Lord really convicted me. Uh, and then I went along there. And we started with just 12 people uh, meeting in homes. Uh, and gradually DCF grew. We moved into a school. 
And we moved uh, from school into a community center. Uh, and then sometime later, um, we were praying that the Lord would provide us a building. And unbeknown to us, at the same time, there was a, a, a church in the town, a, a FIEC church, that had a relatively elderly congregation. There was only about half a dozen of them that were there. And they'd been praying for a congregation. So we've been praying for a building. They've been praying for a congregation. And then completely separate to all of that, Dad, as pastor of DCF and the pastor of that church, decided just to meet together just to pray, to chat, and spend time fellowshipping. And all of a sudden, one, one morning when they were praying, this other pastor said, well, why don't you just come in here? And that was it. So we got given a building. They got given a congregation. And uh, it was just incredible. Again, the way the Lord works. You know, we read things in Scripture about how the Lord provided, did these incredible things. And we go, wow. And, and we sometimes tend to think we don't see those things going on. But we do. The Lord still does amazing things. Uh, and that, for us, was just one of the, just the most incredible things. Not only did we get given the building, but there was a fund that was made available immediately that the old people had no way of doing anything to the building. But there was a fund there to be able to afford to buy the things necessary to repair the building and getting it in the, a good working order again. So um, that was... DCF, we started, uh, I was involved in, in the worship band, and uh, very early on we started having home group uh, Bible studies, which I got involved in. And things were going really well. It was, um, the Lord was just working in our lives. It was exciting. You know, you keep waiting for that big thing to happen, as we as Christians tend to do. Uh, I'm sure you know what I mean. You know, you think the Lord's going to do something wonderful, and then a little bit later you look back and you realize why the Lord didn't do it then. Uh, you know, as you realize, I wasn't ready. Uh, I didn't realize I wasn't ready, but... Um, and then the, the next big major milestone in my Christian life uh, was in 2003. And uh, mum and dad said, oh, last year we went to this conference. It was really good. You ought to come with us. So I said, yeah, okay. So uh, mum, dad and myself uh, traveled off down to Portsmouth, which is somewhere on the south coast somewhere, to a conference called FACT. And um, I remember we, we were in and we were sitting on the front row, and I think... Um, um, Roger Oakland, uh, who I'd heard of before, uh, started the conference off and uh, so on. And the next person up was somebody called Dave Hunt. I'd not heard of Dave Hunt at that point. Um, bear in mind, I'd come from an Anglican church background, been very sheltered to anything good. Um, and within three minutes of Dave starting to speak, he said, I can prove that God exists. He said, I can prove the Bible is true. I can prove that Jesus Christ is the true and only Savior of sinners. And I'm sitting on the front row and I'm thinking, really? I was, I was so excited. I, I knew the Bible was true. I loved it. And I've been reading it for years by this point. I've been teaching it at our home group Bible studies at DCF. But suddenly to hear somebody say we can prove it was just a whole nother world for me. And I just sat there kind of jaw dropped listening to, to people like Dave and um, others. And it was just, it was incredible. Um, and then a certain character got up on stage which took it to a whole other level by the name of Chuck Misler. And he did this incredible presentation talking about biblical prophecy. And uh, at the end of it, he just concluded by saying, I'm more certain that Jesus Christ is the Messiah of Israel than I am of any other fact in the universe, including my own name. And that really stuck with me. Just this overwhelming proof that we have that the Bible not only is God's word, but it can be demonstrated to be so. And that just set me on a, on a kind of a, a path of, of wanting to know more. Uh, at the same conference, there was another wonderful speaker who's grown into a very, very special friend by the name of Ron Matson. And I remember going and speaking to Ron, 
I had a question about a, a prophetic issue that I wanted to just uh, you know, clarify. Uh, and Ron very graciously gave me the answer and put up with some of the difficult questions I was asking him. And then a little bit after that, Joy's family or sister uh, lived down this way anyway. So we were down visiting. And I said, well, let's see if we can go to, to Calvary Portsmouth on, on the Sunday morning. So we, we went along at the time you were meeting um, in um, uh, the precinct um, in Horndean. Uh, so we came along there, and uh, we were made to feel very welcome immediately. Uh, and a very pleasant young lady had this Bible in front called the Evidence Bible. It was Abby. And um, I, couldn't, I was looking over the shoulder thinking, that looks really good. And so uh, I started looking at that. And, um, and then over the years, we started coming back more and more. And I think Ron realized that I wasn't going to go away. Um, and we, we, we just started to, to get to know each other better. And um, the people at K-House started getting really fed up with me because the next three years of my life consisted of uh, just ordering and buying and listening to uh, Chuck Misler's uh, verse-by-verse commentaries. Uh, and I started getting up every morning. I would get up at 6, and I'd spend an hour just listening to those commentaries at the start of the day. Um, for three years, I just went through that. And it was probably one of the best groundings in Scripture that anybody could get. Uh, I mean, people will often talk about going to Bible college, Bible schools, and there may be some uh, measure of benefit in those things. Um, but to sit and go through something like Chuck Misler's commentaries, and there's others that are available... It was just incredible just to sit there with your own Bible, looking at these things. And frequently I'd be pausing what Chuck said, and I'm going, is that right? Is that really right? You're checking it. Yeah, he's right. It's just amazing. And it was such a good, good grounding in God's Word. Um, eventually, um, in uh, it was 2006, um, Ron uh, asked me if I'd come down and speak at Calvary Portsmouth on a Sunday morning. And um, to me, that was a, a huge thing. To, the, Portsmouth at that time in my mind, and actually in many ways still is, was one of the greatest fellowships in the country. Not numerically, anything to do that, but because you had at that time, and I, I still feel one of the best Bible teachers that this country has, certainly alive at the moment. Um, you know, there's been some great Bible teachers over the years, um, but I think you have been so blessed having somebody like Ron to teach you and um, I, I've been blessed enormously by listening to his teaching. And I think it's been such an incredible foundation. Um, and it excites me as we look to the future and what the Lord is going to do that you've got such a strong foundation to build on. Um, anyway, I had that opportunity to come down and speak, which I did. Um, and it must have gone all right because I got invited back a little bit after that. Um, and I think going through the very sermon notes I had, I think it's somewhere around about, over the last five years, about 30 or so occasions, I've had opportunity to come down and to share with you and to teach. Um, back in uh, 2008, uh, into 2009 and so on, uh, again, Ron asked me to help and assist with the Genesis TV um, question and answers. And that another, was another big development for me. It was a great jump in my training um, as the Lord was... Uh, well, it wasn't just the Lord. Ron was putting me on the spot quite frequently. And if you saw those programs, you'll know. Um, but it was great. You know, I used to, to go and sit at home and study and try and find answers to questions that may be asked. And, you know, it turns out all I needed to study was the Sabbath. But um, the most frequent question we got asked. But uh, back in uh, 2010, uh, that work on uh, Genesis TV came to an end. And uh, the very next week, a work done in uh, Paul began in Dorset, uh, which became was become uh, Calvary Chapel Paul. And we just feel the Lord laid upon uh, mine and Joy's hearts to, to start this work. Um, 
Not sure where it would lead. There was in the back of my mind the thought that the Lord would use this as, uh, as a way of moving me into to, to ministry uh, and that we would end up moving down there. So we started it. Uh, we started looking at houses, couldn't find anything that was uh, close to appropriate. Um, I mean, partly because when Joy was looking at websites, they were on sandbanks. That didn't help. Um, they were nice. They were very, very nice houses. But, uh, but we... This didn't feel right. Um, I mean, the, the work at Portsmouth was, was carrying on. It's still carrying on to this day. Um, we talked through the Gospel of John the first year we were there, just meeting once a month on a, on a Sunday evening. Um, we then moved into the Book of Acts, and we've gone on through that. And it's been really blessed. We've seen the people that are there grow, um, lives being challenged and changed. It's been just a real privilege. Um, and uh, I felt so... Um, without sounding too super spiritual, I felt so anointed as I've been speaking there, just really feeling that I was where God wanted me. And yet at the same time, this whole prayer about, do we move, should we go there, was just coming back with this no. And it didn't make sense. And until I got to teaching through uh, in the book of Acts where Paul wanted to go into Asia and preach the gospel there. And as Luke records in the account, he was prevented by the Holy Spirit. Now, at the time, they probably didn't see it that way. They didn't understand and, um, the most um, logical answer for looking at Scripture as to why Paul didn't go was because he had this problem with his eyesight and everything else, and he ends off going into Galatia. Um, but nevertheless, Paul wanted to go somewhere, and the Lord's saying no. And it didn't make sense, I'm sure, at the time. And just as the situation with Paul, and for us, for Joy and I, it was this kind of, well, maybe the Lord is leading us in a different direction. Uh, I certainly didn't feel that, that it was right to stop what we were doing at Paul, but nevertheless, back in June last, or yeah, last year, as of now, uh, back in June 2011, um, I was speaking down here, and um, Bob and Linda and myself went out for lunch after the, the service, and we were talking. And I just said at the time, I remember saying to both of them that I can't help but feeling that our futures are somehow linked. Uh, it didn't make any sense. There was no logical reason for that. Uh, but that was the feeling on my heart. And um, uh, just after that, the following week, I went up to York. Joy and I and the family went up to York to the uh, Carver Chapel Pastors Conference. And I went really with that one big question, Lord, should we move to Paul or not? And we both, after praying up there uh, on, on two occasions uh, over the times we were there, we were praying, and we really felt the Lord say no. And the, the bizarre thing was we both felt the Lord put a burden on our hearts for Portsmouth. And I remember Joyce saying, you know, I just Paul is not right, but if Portsmouth asks, we go tomorrow. And it was it was bizarre because there was no logical reason for that. There was no, um, you know, you had, in my view, one of the best pastors in this country. And there was just no earthly reason to, to kind of connect those dots. And But again, those things were just put on the back burner um, until we get to uh, mid-October, Oh, no, sorry, it was in September, and I had an email from Ron saying that he felt the Lord was calling him to work in New Zealand with Chuck. And I just kind of smiled and laughed nervously. Um, no, I, I, I was just, there was that kind of, it was, it was an element of surprise, but also an element of, yeah, that's right. And in my heart, I knew that that's what the Lord was leading Ron and the family to. Um, and then in... Uh, uh, mid-October, I got a letter from Bob uh, asking me if I consider being pastor here. Um, the first thing I did was try and work out which direction Tarshish was at that point. 
I just started thinking, you know, this was just too strange. There's me, this, this young lad from a, you know, secondary school education back in Deal, um, being asked to come and be pastor at, to my mind, one of the, the greatest fellowships in the country. And it just, just didn't compute. But in my heart, I just felt the Lord really calling. And it's gone on. We've had numerous conversations. And we are where we are today. There's a line of a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, it's one that I'd like us to learn at some point in the future. But this particular verse just says, We're not where we planned to be when we started this journey. But this is where we are. And our God is in control. And I think that really sums up everything that I feel at the moment, that, that God is in complete control. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know how it's going to work. But God is in control. God has been engineering these circumstances. As I look back over my life, I see that God has gradually been training me and teaching me and revealing more of himself to me. That three years, as, I, as it were, that I sat listening to, to Chuck Misler, learning from him, was just such a great training. The time I spent on Genesis TV was another development in that process. And the, the time I spent down at Paul, I now see, was training and preparation for me to move into the role of pastor. I hadn't seen it at the time. It didn't make any sense in that context. Now I look back and I see what the Lord was doing. And the Lord has had a plan all the way through. And as I look back and I see how far that thread goes, it just amazes me that the Lord has had such a, a clear plan all the way through. And again, the, the, the Lord would invest so much time in me or in you, in any of us. You know, the Lord has some incredible things that he's going to do with us. And I think it's very exciting. And we'll, we'll leave it for the Lord to do what he wants with us. And Joy said this morning as we were coming down, she said, have you worked out what you're going to say yet? I said, not really. This is the first time in my life I've not sat here with, with 150 PowerPoint slides ready to go. Because normally I do, and, you know, on the basis that, you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to speak. It's not about me. I don't want to talk about the things I've done and all that. This morning I have because I just want to tell you that God is in complete control. The whole of this process has been what God is doing. And uh, I just, it's just, just, just incredible. I mean, back at um, Deal, um, I was talking to somebody recently about the opportunities I've had to speak in various places. And a deal, I speak to doctors. I speak to professional people in all sorts of different capacities. Um, and one of the people that's regularly attending a Bible study is a teacher, a teacher that's taught undergraduates and uh, people that have gone on to Oxford and Cambridge. And this teacher comes and sits and listens at the Bible studies. And I always feel a little out of my depth when he's there. But he always comes up afterwards and says, oh, thank you, that was incredible, I learned so much. And it just reminds me of what David said in Psalm 119, about through your word you've made me, or you've given me more understanding than my teachers. It doesn't mean I've got more knowledge then, but that, that understanding of the way things fit together, of God's plan, of God's purpose, again, it's through his word. The only qualification I have is God's word. But I think really that's all that's necessary. Um, the world... Looks so often about the you know the kind of the ordination thing, and um, some people at work I was talking to a little while back were just talking about it, and they said, "Oh, so does that mean you're going to be ordained and you have to wear a dog collar and those kind of things?" I thought, well, certainly the ordination thing. I said, "No, not by man's standard." And the dog collar, I don't know, they haven't told me yet. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's God who ordains. 
It's not, it's not man. God ordains for the work of ministry for his purpose. It's his church. And he's doing what he wants to do. And it's just such an incredible privilege to be part of, of what he's doing. One of the things I just want to leave you with, um, Revelation 22, verse 11. As we start a new year, this just struck me. Uh, again, yesterday I got to the end of the Bible in a year, and I just encourage you, if you don't read through the Bible in a year, every year, just try and read through Scripture. Not, not to study it, just to read it. On the basis that when you eat your food, you don't sit there and calculate what vitamins you're having or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I don't even count the pieces of fruit I have. Uh, in fact, if I have five grapes, that's five pieces of fruit to me. That's done. <laughs> and, of course, toffee apples count there as well. Uh, so that's okay. Um, but, you know, when we eat food, we don't think about the nutritional benefit necessary to us or what it's actually doing. And it's the same with Scripture. Uh, and Scripture is, is, you know, more important than our food. That's the way it should be. And uh, um, this verse simply says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. I think the challenge for us is that we're moving into a, a time in history where we can't hide any longer as Christians. We're going to be more and more exposed. As the, as the world gets darker around us, so the light within us is going to shine brighter. And we need to decide where we are. It's very much the, um, the Joshua um, mandate, if you like. Choose this day whom you'll serve. And as we go into a new year, I think we all as individuals need to decide where we are in our Christian walk. What is acceptable in our Christian lives? What do we tolerate? What things have got to go? It's been a good exercise for Joy and I just to, to be praying through, to be talking through, looking at the scriptures, the things that should apply to us in our role now. You know, what things have to change? And I think for all of us, we need to ask those questions. And, you know, I think it's... I've heard people say before that as you grow in your Christian life, uh, you sin less and repent more. And I think that's what the Lord would have of us, that we start looking uh, at our own life. We examine ourselves. We're told to examine ourselves, uh, Paul tells us in Corinthians. And I think it's important that we do so. Look at where we are. You know, where we started this, this morning, we're talking about it's all about Jesus. The fellowship is all about him. It's all about our relationship with him, about our loving him more, serving him more. Well, there may be these things that need to go. Things that once we thought were okay, and now, as we move into a new year, as the Lord is doing something incredible. My, my point in going through all of these things this morning was to say that the Lord has been doing something over the years. And I, I'm not expecting, you know, great and incredible, wonderful things to take place next week. Uh, the Lord will gradually deal with us and, as he wants to. But he's going to continue the work that he's begun. And he's given such a good foundation but the Lord is going to carry on building and doing things incredible in our lives with Ron, with Marcy, with the family, with Chuck in New Zealand. I'm excited to see what's going to happen there. And I encourage you to keep praying. I'm sure you're going to anyway. Um, but I'm just excited and just, just in awe at this great God we serve that chooses to use these kind of little feeble folk such as us. Let's uh, bow our hearts. Father, we thank you that you are a great God. Father, we thank you that it is all about you. 
And Lord, the incredible thing is that you don't need any of us, but that you choose to use us. Lord, just as a a dad allowing a, a child to help mow the grass actually often gets in the way, but it's pleasing to the father to see that child being involved. And Lord, that's how you look at us, just to see us being involved in your plans and your purposes. And Father, for the work you have to carry on here, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us. We pray, Lord, that we would be continually filled afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we not lean on our own understanding, but Lord, in all our ways, to acknowledge you, to seek you, to trust you, knowing, Lord, that you will direct our paths. Father, we do pray for Ron and Marcy and the family. Lord, fill them afresh with your Holy Spirit as they continue the work that you have assigned them for. Lord, just use them mightily. Lord, bless Chuck and Nancy Misler in their ministry and the work that they've been doing. Lord, so many lives have been blessed and touched by their work. So, Lord, for the whole of that venture, Lord, we just pray your hand upon it. And then, Lord, for us as individuals, Lord, we pray as we go into this new year that you would give us a hunger and a desire to be holy. Lord, teach us what that means, to be set apart for you, for the creator God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, to be set apart. And so, Lord, these things at the start of this year, we lay before you. We thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And may we truly live lives of gratitude to you. All these things we ask in the mighty, the wonderful, and the precious name of Jesus. Amen.